We've been looking at the Ten Commandments for the past several weeks, and we've been trying to look at them from a little different perspective. Here's the passage that kicked this study off, oh, about a month and a half ago. It's in Mark chapter 12. Let me read that passage again. This is our introductory text, and we'll use it as our closing text. Mark 12, 28. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceived that he had answered them well. This is talking about Jesus Christ and answered them well. The scribe asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandment is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other command greater than these. Verse 32. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, thou hast said the truth, for there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all thy heart, and with all thy understanding, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, and to love his neighbor as thyself, himself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, Thou art not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that durst ask him any questions. Now, when we go to the Ten Commandments, we've been looking at the Ten Commandments, but we've been looking at them from a different aspect, not necessarily just a commandment that if I don't do this, I'm going to get in trouble. Or if I follow this commandment, I'm going to get blessed. We're trying to eliminate those extremes and focus on what if we do it simply because we love God. Think about a husband and wife. Let's suppose you have a husband and wife and you're simply doing things because you don't want to get in trouble with your spouse. Or you're doing things because you want to get something from your spouse. Did you know what? That's not a marriage. That's just playing house. But what happens when you do it for the relationship simply because you love them? You're going to be entering a whole new ballgame. Well, the same is true with your heavenly father in heaven. You know, you think of a biological parent when you have a child that uh, is doing it simply because they don't want to get punished. And you have another child that's doing it because they want to keep their cell phone or they want to go on a certain activity. And then you have the child that does it simply out of love. That's a whole new ball game. Children and parents that have relationship, husbands and wife that have that kind of relationship. That's a whole new realm. Well, it's the same thing with God. And I think what he's saying here is he says, thou art not far from the kingdom of heaven. See, the Pharisees had a legalistic tendency and they had all these rules and they thought they were so holy for keeping the rules and they tried to get other people and they threatened people out of the church and kicking them out of the church and it was all reward in that. And all of a sudden here comes this scribe and Jesus is interacting and he says, oh, you get the love motive. It's the love motive. Let's kind of go through this, and again, we're going to look at some folks that maybe operated in this, I call it the sweet spot. You can be motivated by fear, you can be motivated by reward, but somewhere in the middle, if you can be motivated by love, that's what I call the sweet spot. And I think there's a couple of cases in the Old Testament of people that lived in that sweet spot. But first of all, let me hit this verse right here, Matthew 7, verse 21. The first thing I want you to notice is that obeying is really, really, really important. Notice what it says here in Matthew 7, 21. Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. 
The first thing is, is I'm not talking about eternity. The kingdom of heaven is not heaven. Otherwise, he'd have just said heaven. I think the kingdom of heaven is that sweet spot, heaven here on earth. And what he's saying is, you've got to do the will of my father to enter that sweet spot. But here's the twist I've been putting on you for the last six weeks. That however, the motivation behind the obedience is just as important as the obedience. And I want to say it's even more important because sometimes God will wink at our ignorance. But if we do the right thing for the wrong reason, he'll come down. I'm going to tell the story again. Illustrates all three motives. I'm going way back when they were little and they loved cowboys. They were all about cowboys. They would get up in the morning, eat their breakfast, and go outside. And some days they were cowboys. Some days they were Indians, but they just played cowboys and Indians. And there was boys on the street. And they were all over making forts. And that's all they did all day long. And if it was ever dark or it rained, then they went inside and they had these little playmobiles. And they played cowboys and Indians with those. That one night, I was away. And I had a nanny that was helping me, Carolyn. And she was working with the kids. I came in at, at late at night after they were in bed. And I walked in and I saw Carolyn. And I always tell that Carolyn knew how to handle stress. She was a German foreign exchange student. She used to be a, a lifeguard on the Black Sea. I mean, she was tough. She could handle stress. And I took one look and I looked at her and I go, oh my, she was frazzled. I said, what did they do? And they decided they had their Indians and cowboys all in a battle for a ray. And they decided the Indians got hungry, so they built a lake in their bedroom with real water. And they, they soaked the carpet and the padding underneath and went right down to the floorboards. And she had to mop all that mess up. And I came in and I saw a frazzled Carolyn. And I went upstairs. And they were all in bed. And at that time, they were all in the same bedroom. It was bunk beds on the left and a captain's bed on the right. And I walked in, and all six eyes were under the covers looking at me like this. Okay? I had six eyeballs looking at me. And I said, okay, who's the bright idea? And the fingers were going back and forth, pointing at all that. Now, I know Reed couldn't do it because he can't even reach the sink. And they said, yeah, Daddy, but he could scoop from the toilet. And I said, all right, y'all are in bed. We're going to take care of business in the morning. There's no excuses because you had just gotten trouble for squirt guns in the house the day before. So there's no excuse on ignorant. You knew water in the house was... So they went down. I went downstairs to my bedroom. So I'm downstairs and I'm in my bedroom. And after about 15 minutes, there's a knock. And it's my second born. He says, what do you want? He said, Daddy, I want my spankings right now. Come on in. I said, why? He says, I'm just, I can't sleep. I just disappointed you, and I just want to get this over with. He found the sweet spot. So I bent him over my knee. He got love taps. Because you want to break a child, you don't want to crush one. And he was already broken. He got the love taps. Up the stairs, he was so happy. About 15 minutes later, there's another knock on the door. It's my oldest, my firstborn. He said, Daddy, can I come in? Yep. He says, I want my spankings. I said, why? He says, well, Lincoln said they were so easy. <laughs> <laughs> he got over my knee, but he didn't get the love taps. Because his concentration was the penalty. 
third son. So the boy, he didn't go up nearly with a hop, step, and a skip the first boy did, but he went upstairs. And evidently, a report scared the third boy, so he didn't come down. So next morning, I had the cereal and the bowls and the milk out there eating cereal. And my third son was hiding behind the cereal box. He just eating like this, and I couldn't see him. And I think, what's his problem? Oh, I know what his problem was. And the deal was, is he just wanted to go outside and play. And he was putting it off, hoping Daddy would forget, because he wanted to go outside and play. My point is, is you've got three boys that all did wrong, but their motives were completely different. And we, we laugh at little kids and cowboys and Indians and things like that. But the bottom line is, God sees our hearts too. And you know, if we're doing things not to get punished, or we're doing things to get a blessing, the prosperity gospel, you know, we're, do- we're just playing church. Just like the husband and wife are playing house, we're just playing church. The motive is everything. And when you operate in that motive, you're operating in that sweet spot. And I believe this is what was in Mark 12. What Jesus is saying, the first of the commandments is to love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength, not focused on the punishment or the reward. You're focusing on the Lord you're doing out of respect and gratitude. And if you can ever enter that relationship with a husband and wife, you're going to have a bang-up marriage. And if you can relate that to a, with a teacher or a parent or a coach or the Lord, it's going to raise your relationship to a whole new level. And I, I don't know. I think I, I'm guessing I'm trying not to be judgmental, but I think most of Christianity operates in the give me I want or I'm trying to avoid a punishment. But, but that's not what this book about. That's not what the kingdom of heaven is about. That's why it's so rare. It's as narrow as the way. Not too many people do that. It's either I don't want to get this or I, I, I do want to get this versus, Lord, you gave me your son. Thank you. I just want to show thanks. Sometimes parents scare children into submission. Here's an example of that. Now you think, I didn't know that was in the Old Testament. Look what this says in Deuteronomy 21. God does this sometimes. Verse 20. And they, these are the parents, say to the elders of the city, this our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. And all the men of the city shall stone him with stones that he die, so that he shall put evil away from among you. And all Israel shall hear and fear. Sometimes God uses the fear factor. And bang is important. And right now, we don't take them to the elders. We take away their cell phone or get them kicked off the basketball team. You know, that's the kind of punishments we have. If that's the only tool in your toolbox, the way you manage your kids, you're not going to have that relationship with your kids. And the kids are not going to have that relationship with their parent if it's just to avoid the pain. Sometimes parents bribe children into submission. I have to do is go into a public grocery store. You'll see this all the time for kids acting out in the grocery store in the aisle. Here, consider this. God did that in Ephesians 6. Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise. There's the reward. And it may be well with thee. That's quality of life. And thou mayest live long. That's quantity of life. God's saying when you obey your parents, you're going to be blessed with quality and quantity of life. Y'all, I hope that's not why you honor your parents. God says that's going to happen, and that's fine, and he will bless you. 
But I know what, your relationship with your parents is not going to be the same if you do it just to show the love of all what they've done to you for you all over the years, the sacrifices they made, the prayers they spent over you, you know, the time when you were sick and they, they rocked you and, and did that with no sleep. That's a whole different ballgame. And then finally, we get to the love. Sometimes parents experience children who submit simply out of love. I'm doing this because I'm going back in my memory bank when I was a little kid, and I sure didn't do that nearly enough for my parents, if at all. I am not trying to put myself as I've arrived and look at me. That's not what I'm doing at all. Notice this. Matthew 18, 3. Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter the kingdom of heaven. You know, if you, if you think about the little child that's waiting for daddy to come home after he's been gone at work all day long, and he comes running, oh, daddy's home, and he runs and he throws himself into his arms. God's saying, and sometimes, sometimes we get so weathered about going to church, I need to take you back when you first got converted, when you first learned what Jesus did, when you started reading your Bible for the first time, and you got so excited. Sometimes we need to become like that little child all over again to understand that's the sweet spot. Brother Dolph, you mean you want me to be immature in the Lord? No, I want you to grow and be mature. I just want your love to be immature. I want to look at David. In my eyes, David is a guy that lived nearly his entire life in the sweet spot. Does that mean he lived a perfect life? No. He messed up plenty of times. But I want you to know what God says about him. In Acts 13, 22, God says, I have found David, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill my will. Something about David was special compared to other folks like Asa and Hezekiah and Josiah and, and some of these other good kings. But there was something different about David. Even Moses and Elisha. What was different about him? He didn't do it to avoid penalty and he didn't do it to get a reward. He did it just because he loved God. Even when David messed up, in Psalm 51, 10 and 11, David sinned terribly. We talked about this a few weeks ago. He, he committed the adultery. He covered it up with murder. And then after he got caught, notice what he says. He says, renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence. Illustrations, I had oldest son, second son, third son. You know, they kind of went in and out of it all the time. I'm not elevating one son above the other. They kind of came and gone. In that situation, David was like, Daddy, I just can't stand that you disappointed in me and I feel like the fellowship's not there. That's what, you look at that prayer in Psalm 51. He did not say, please let me still be king. He said, please don't level me. He said, I just can't stand that I'm separated from you. His motivation was love. He was in the sweet spot. That's what drove him. And that's why God would say, he's a man after my own heart. He's not living to avoid punishment, although that's a good thing to do. And he's not living to get blessing, but that's a good thing to do too. But what happens when you do it for love? That's a whole different ballgame. And then he messed up again in 2 Samuel 24. Remember he counted the people and he got a pen, there was a punishment. And then when the punishment came, people were dying. Some of the subjects were dying. And this is what he says in verse 17. He says, I have done wickedly, but these sheep, what have they done? Let thy hand be against me. 
He didn't care about that punishment. Now, again, in the illustration I gave you, I had one son that was concentrating on... See, see the first son? The, the, the first son that came downstairs? That night, his thought was on reconciliation. That's what he wanted. He wanted reconciliation. He couldn't stand that there was a separation. The second focus son was on redemption. He was on a price. And he thought there was a Kmart blue light special going on, and it was really cheap that night, and he was going to jump on that. That was his focus. David doesn't care about the penalty. He says, these sheep that are suffering because of my mistake, he said, they're innocent bystanders. Take it out on me. You know what God did? He showed them mercy. He gave them the love taps. He stopped it, right? He gave them the love taps. Praise the Lord. So David's example of a guy that lived in this sweet spot. But I want you to show you, not only did God see him living in the sweet spot, notice what it says here. He lived his life, and I'm going to look at a couple of verses here. When he lived his life, it says on many occasions that the Lord was with him. And it didn't matter if it was an officer, advisor of King Saul. It didn't matter if it was a lowly servant. It didn't matter if it was a male. It didn't matter if it was a female. It didn't matter if it was a soldier. It didn't even matter if it was a Philistine. It didn't even matter if it was the king who hated and was jealous of David all of them could see that God was with David. And you know what? David didn't need to tell anybody about it either. They just saw it. 1 Samuel 16, 16. This is when King Saul was really melancholy. And he had one of his advisors. And one of his advisors found this young man named David. And this is what he describes. Now again, this is a short paraphrase. I have seen Jesse's son, that's David, He's cunning, he's mighty, he's valiant, he's prudent, and the Lord is with him. How, how did that officer know that the Lord was with him? What do you think that looked like? In 1 Samuel 18 and verse 5, it says, David behaved himself wisely and was accepted in the sight of the people and Saul's servants. The common people and the servants respected David. Why? Because God was with him. He lived in that sweet spot. In 18, 14, and 15, Saul was afraid of David because David behaved himself wisely and the Lord was with him. Notice, Saul hated David at this point in time. But even he had enough common sense to realize God was blessing this guy. But here's the coup de grace. In 1833, the Philistine princes, you know who the Philistines? Those were the bad guys. The bad guys saw that David behaved himself more wisely than all than Saul's servants. Y'all, there's only one way you can impress that many people. And that's not when you're playing house or when you're playing church. It's when you're living in that sweet spot when you're doing things out of love. When you're going through the Bible and you're looking for other people that pretty much live their lives in the sweet spot, who comes to mind? Well, I think Joseph probably comes to mind. I think Daniel probably comes to mind. I think Joshua probably comes to mind. Let's look at one person. I'm going to look at dad. We just looked at dad. Let's look at his son Solomon. He didn't, I think David was a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. And I think Solomon came. And I, I think, I'm not talking about whether his inheritance is real or if he's a child of God. I'm talking about enjoying the sweet spot, the heaven here on earth. I don't think he was a citizen. I think he was just a visitor for a little while. And unfortunately, I think that's what I am. Maybe a visitor this day and maybe a week, two weeks from now, maybe on a Wednesday night, I'll be a visitor for a little while. 
I hope not. But let's look at King Saul. Now, we want to see, first of all, that Solomon was blessed. This is recorded in 1 Kings 11, 11 and 12. It says Solomon was blessed not because of his obedience, but because of his dad's obedience. And all of a sudden, what if I can live in that sweet spot? And the effect of that sweet spot is my children are blessed. That's possible. Let's look at this in 1 Chronicles 29. This is 23 through 25. It says, Solomon sat at David's throne and prospered in Israel, obeyed him. All the princes, the mighty men, and David's sons submitted unto Solomon. In verse 25, God magnified Solomon exceedingly in the sight of Israel. So when Solomon first sat on the throne, I think he was kind of in the sweet spot. And then some time went by and God says, I'm going to bless you. And he could have asked for anything. That's, that's this reward. At this point in time, he didn't care about rewards. God was so impressed with him. He says, because, this is verse 11, because thou hast not asked for riches or wealth or honor or life of the enemies, nor long life, but thou hast asked for wisdom and knowledge to judge my people. God was so impressed with Solomon. He says he could ask for all those blessings, those rewards. And he says, it's kind of like any wish you want, anything you want. And he didn't say, take out my bad guys, my enemies. He didn't say, give me wealth. He said, Lord, I am going to have to judge your people. Please give me wisdom so I can do it righteously. God was so impressed with that. He wasn't, at this point in time, Solomon was not afraid of the punishment and he wasn't doing to get a reward. He did it simply because he loved God. But some time went by and you know what he did? He veered out of that sweet spot. First Kings 11 Verse 4, Solomon's wives turned his heart to other gods. His heart was not perfect as David's was. Notice the compare and contrast. Solomon, verse 6, did evil in the sight of God. He went not fully after the Lord as did David. Compare and contrast. Verse 9, the Lord was angry with Solomon because his heart turned from God. All of a sudden, he was focused on the pleasure and the riches, and he fell out of that sweet spot. Y'all, I don't want to fall that sweet spot, but you know what? I do. And when I do, I need you to cuff me upside the head and says, get out of that ditch, come back up on the road. And then you know what I do? I go into the other ditch. So I need another brother to cuff me up the side again, get back up on the road. We need each other for that. We don't need to be dwelling in those ditches. We get there too easy. Okay, enough of the bad stuff. Let's look at some more good guys. I think Joseph was a man that was blessed with prosperity and good success. Let me read a couple of his descriptions. Now, if you really want to do this, you want to read Genesis 39 to 41. You know what's so amazing about him? His brothers hated him, and they did him wrong, and they threw him into bondage. And you know how he responded? He loved God. And then Potiphar's wife lied about him and got thrown in prison. You know how he responded? He loved God. And then he told his dream and the people left. They forgot all about him. You know how he responded? He loved God. And then Pharaoh got a hold of him and made him Federal Reserve Chairman of the whole world. And you know how he responded? He loved God. So it didn't matter if he was in the ditch or he was on the mountaintop. You know what he did? He loved God. Do you remember when the woman threw herself at him? And says, he says, I can't do this to God. He doesn't, I can't do this to my master. He said, I can't do this to God. His focus was on the love of God. 
He lived most of his life, nearly all of it, in that sweet spot. Let's look. In Genesis 39, this is in 1 through 4, Potiphar saw the Lord was with Joseph and prospered all that he did. And saw, or Genesis 39, 7 through 9, Joseph asked this question, how could I do this great wickedness, talking about um, Potiphar's wife throwing himself at him. He says, how can I do, how can I sin against God? How can I do this against God? He's not saying, I'm worried about him punishing me or I'm worried about getting thrown out of my office and doing this. No, he says, how can I do this? Think about it. Do you remember when Israel was going through the Red Sea and they got to the other land? And as soon as they got to the other land, Moses took off. And what happened? They made a golden cow. It didn't turn out too well for him, did it? What happens? I'm on the other side of this and I'm reading that. And I go, how dumb were they? But I got my own golden calves. So I just don't see them in that way. I'm not going to build a golden calf because I saw what happened to them and I don't want that bad stuff happen to me. Or I'm not going to build a golden calf because I want to get to the promised land. I don't want to wander around here anymore. I want the reward. Versus... I'm not going to build a golden calf because I love God so much. I don't have room for a golden calf. I don't have room for another God. That's a whole different ballgame. And when you get your place to that way with your relationship with the Lord, you will be blessed beyond measure. There'll be a peace and a joy I, I can't explain. I hope we can experience that. In Genesis 39, 20 through 23, the warden looked not to anything because the Lord was with Joseph. Do you remember even when he got thrown in prison? He says, here, take everything. Potiphar says, here, take it. I trust you. God's with you. He's blessing you. Just take it. I don't even know what I got anymore. I just trust you with it completely. And he did it. And he didn't have to worry about spoil. He didn't have to worry about anything else. He didn't, Joseph didn't do it because he wanted more pressure. He just did it because he loved the Lord. He was just doing, being conscientious. So then he goes to prison. And again, he's getting all this responsibility. Everything he touches turns to gold. God is blessing him like crazy. But he's not doing it to get promotions. He's doing it because he's glorifying his God, just being a good servant. And then he does the same thing with Pharaoh in Genesis 41, 37 through 41. Pharaoh, can we find such a one as this man? Because the Spirit of God. So Potiphar recognized God was with him. The warden of the jail recognized God with him. Pharaoh recognized God was with him. Jacob's brothers recognized God was with them. The people recognized God was with them. Everybody did. How does that happen? He's living in the sweet spot. Love is what's motivating him. Joseph was an Old Testament state whose relationship with God rivaled the kingdom of heaven experience. Joseph's behavior was not motivated by fear or reward. When he was treated evil, he loved God. When he was blessed, he loved God. When people lied about him, he loved God. When he was promoted, he loved God. He stuck. It's like that little kid running to the door when daddy comes home after being gone all day long. Daddy's home, daddy's home. He's not doing it because he's afraid he's not going to get a spanking or he's not doing it because he wants to get a treat. He's doing it because daddy was gone and daddy's home and I just want to be in his arms. Let's look at another man. Let's look at Daniel. I think Daniel was a guy that lived his life in the sweet spot. And he lived life in the sweet spot as a teenager all the way up into his 80s. Think about this guy. Do you know how many kings? Usually when, when a president comes into power, think of a president. will come to um, America and we have a president and they serve four times. Sometimes they serve eight years. And what do they do? First thing they do is they clear out the cabinet and they put their own guys in there. Think about 
the chief honcho underneath all these different kings over 80 years. Different kings come in, they clean house, put a new cabinet, but they keep Daniel. Another king comes in, clean house, even Darius, a Mede, a Medo Persian, comes in, replacing a Babylonian, cleans house, and he keeps Daniel. How does that happen? Because they're looking at him and they recognize the Lord's with him. Every touch, thing he touches turns to gold, and there's a blessing there. Notice what it says in Daniel 1 8 through 14. God brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of eunuchs. He gets captured as a teenager. Basically what they did is they threw him in a dormitory. I'm kind of liking this to college because he had to be about three and a half years of college, Babylonian style. And this resident assistant, the hall monitor, has an affinity for him. And he says, okay, I get this. This resident assistant, now these are metaphors, the terms, you understand what I'm doing, right? In Daniel 1, 17 through 20, the king found them, this is Daniel and his three friends, ten times better in the matters of wisdom and understanding. Even Nebuchadnezzar recognized it. Daniel 5, 13 through 17, in him was the spirit of the gods. Now these are Babylonian speak. They don't know who the God of heaven is. They just know a God is with him. The spirit of the gods are with this guy, light, understanding, and excellent wisdom. In Daniel 6, Daniel's excellent spirit made him preferred above the presidents and the princes. There's been several changes in the administration. And then in Daniel 6, 21 through 28, Darius recognized and praised Daniel's God. He said, I don't know who this God is, but Daniel's God, he's, he's something to be reckoned with. And I know Daniel's God is with Daniel, and I want him as my number one man, my right-hand man. May the Lord bless us in that too. Daniel was another Old Testament who dwelt in the kingdom of heaven. So precious was his citizenship that execution, demotion, fire, lions could not frighten him. Think about it. You got those three motives. You got fear, you got the sweet spot, love, and over here you got war. And how many times was he threatened to be thrown in jail or eaten by lions? or burned in a a furnace. But you know what? It didn't matter. He still loved God. The punishment did not affect him. So precious was the citizenship that power, prestige, wealth, and life could not entice Daniel into political correctness or relativism. Does that sound like today? I love God too much to let that sway me. I'm not looking for reward, and I'm not looking for punishment. I don't care about these two. I just want to love the Lord. I got to have the relationship with the Lord. Love, not fear or reward, motivated Daniel. Oh, Lord, maybe one day I can get there. This is us. This is me. You can put us in there if you want. We read the Bible, and we see a command or a law, and there's something there, and we go, oh, man, that's in there. And you know what we do? We want to know where the line is. How close can I get to that line with not getting over it? That movie's not too bad. There's only one bad scene. I tell you what, if you're looking for where the line is, you're not living in the sweet spot. What's driving you is punishment and rewards. Here's the other one. Is everything a deal with God? Is everything an arm's length transaction? Well, God, if you do this, I'll do this. Well, God, I, I don't want this, so I'm going to do this so you don't do this to me. You know what? You ain't living in the sweet spot. Except you be converted and become as little children, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. What is it about little children? The little children is the trust and the respect. My daddy can beat up anybody. No, your daddy's five foot nine. He's older. 
He's out of shape. There ain't many people he can beat up, but the love is there. He can do it. My daddy can do anything. He can beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. That's where we need to be with God. That's the sweet spot. I pray you've been having and enjoying doing these Ten Commandments. You realize that when we do a motivated by love, it's going to have a whole different impact on yourself, your relationship with God, and those around you. And I pray that God will bless us to see that and start looking at our motives, not just necessarily our obedience. Thank you.